In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 3, look in verse 5. In verse 5, he says, And the people shall be oppressed, everyone by another, and everyone by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient and the base against the honorable. In other words, the time is coming when kids are going to be so rebellious against authority. That ain't happening now, is it? Isn't it wonderful that we have got the most beautiful raised kids in all the world? We've really done a good job. Just go to your public schools. Teachers being beat up, gangs, all the stuff that goes on. Uh, no, but no, get this. God says this is what's going to take place. Now look in verse 9. He said here in verse 9, The show of their countenance both witness against them. And they declare their sin as Sodom, they hide it not. In other words, you ever heard of coming out of the closet, coming out of the closet. Well, see, they came out of the closet, closet, and now they want to put the Christians in the closet. No, I don't like that. Now you've got to be very careful. Don't say anything against the LGB, whatever their initials are. When the Bible changes its position, I will change my position. Until then, homosexuality is a sin, and it is wrong, and it is wicked, and love doesn't change that. People having sex outside of marriage, you can't make it right. It is wrong. You can do whatever you want to do. But this preacher at Calvary Community Church is not going to move just because the opinions have changed. You know, the world's changing, Yankee. Now we've got Christian so-called colleges that are beginning to accept homosexuality, women with women and men with men, and premarital, it's okay now. If it was back then wrong, it's wrong today. We got a source of truth. But see, America is not going to be brought down until you destroy our foundation. And this is our foundation. And so people will keep chipping at it until they destroy the Bible. And people won't have confidence. Look at our schools and our colleges today. They have got faith-wrecking teachers that want to destroy people's confidence in what the Bible has to say. And then later on down the road, see, they'll, they'll be voting. And that's scary. And then he says down here in verse 11, or the last part of verse 9, Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. In other words, when you do wrong, you're going to get the results of doing wrong. And you can't win especially whenever you're talking about as a nation. Remember that little um, statement that's found in the book of um, Matthew when he says, and Jesus said it, he says, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Why? All of a sudden you're teaching all of this stuff, and then you say, remember Lot's wife. Because, you see, she was told not to look back. You see, people of the day, they're not progressive in the sense they want to progress, progress. If it's toward evil, yeah. But for truth and for a better country, righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach unto any people. And if we don't go toward righteousness, you're going backwards. You can't challenge God and win. You can't go against this book and win, whether it's a nation or whether it's a family or whether it's an individual. So understand that. Now, there's a lot of the things they can say in these verses, but I do know that I have not much time. Here in the book of Isaiah, look in chapter 5. Chapter 5, 
And look in verse 20. Just want to read a couple of verses here. In verse 20 it says, Woe unto them that call evil, what? And call good, what? In other words, we've got things all mixed up. You see, the Christian who stands for what's right, we're the ones that's persecuted, condemned, old fogey, no good anymore, Bible thumpers, you cannot, in other words, to denigrate the person who stands for what's right. But because so many in our country today exalt that which is wrong. And so they've taken that which is good and changed it into something evil and taken that which is evil and making it good. Now we can have gay pride. And you'd be surprised how many Christians, isn't that wonderful? Everybody just loves each other. Oh, really? The Bible says love wants the best for the other person and commits himself to doing right. Why would you want to do anything with anybody that would get them in trouble with God? And doesn't make any difference. The law of the land cannot make what God says wrong. They can't make it right. It's still sin and it's still wicked. It's still wrong. Laws being passed to favor. It's like, let's pass laws and making it right. And you can't offend us anymore. Well, if you can do it for that sin, why can't you do it for other sins? All those who believe in stealing, let all the thieves get together and say, we're fighting for our right. Right to do what? Steal. So after a while, see, everybody has the right to do whatever they want to do, but rights came from God, and that isn't right, so it must be wrong. You see, God keeps things simple. But when you start going down that road about rejecting the truth, all we like sheep have, and you cannot trust your flesh. You see, this is for spiritually guarded, guided men who want to do what's right. When you don't want to do what's right, of course, put that aside and let your flesh be your guide. Let that sinful nature that you have determine what you do and don't do. And if you want to steal, steal. You want to rape, rape. You want to murder, murder. You want to do whatever you want to do, do it. You want to kill that baby inside of that mother's womb, which ought to be the safest place in the world. That's murder. You say, well... It's my body. No, it isn't. God says it belongs to him. Your body belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. And you have no right to abuse that body. The one you have. Or the baby that's inside the womb. That's why you don't have a right to abuse anybody else's body. God made things so simple and so clear. But we don't want to believe what God's word has to say. So look what he says here in verse 4. 21, woe unto them that are wise in their what? In their own eyes. They appear to be so smart and so intelligent, they are so dumb, so stupid. And people say, oh, oh, they're just so smart, they're so wise. No, they're not. They're a bunch of idiots. You say, you shouldn't say things like that. Yes, I should. I'm supposed to tell you the truth. I'm not here to tickle your ears or make you feel good. You say, I don't like what you're saying. You ought to be thankful for what I don't say. <laughs> Look at verse 22. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, and men of strength to mingle strong drinks, which justify the wicked for reward. Justify the wicked for reward. And take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. In other words, they got all, everything gets going backwards. I don't believe Christians are supposed to be a rug mat for people just to walk on. The Bible talks about taking a stand and doing what's right. That takes a bunch of men. 
we got a bunch of sissies running our country. And in most places in politics, they don't even have a clue what the Constitution says. They don't know what our rights are because if you don't know this, you can't understand our Constitution or the foundation for it. Anyway, that was just my humble opinion. Now take your Bible and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. Now we're jumping all the way toward the end and the book of Revelation tells us some mighty interesting things. The Bible in chapter 13 tells us about two beasts. One comes out of the land, one comes out of the sea. And these two beasts, one is political and one is religious. And it's talking about this last government at the end of time. The one that's right ahead of us. Now there's some things lining up now. But it hasn't all come together yet. So here in Revelation in chapter 13, and look in verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. Now remember, we talked about the ten horns, the ten toes, the ten kings, all the same. This is the one that's right ahead of us. Now, you'll notice when you read in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3 talks about the seven churches. After chapter 4, there's nothing mentioned about churches anymore until chapter 19. That's whenever we're married to the, at the marriage stop of the Lamb. So in between those verses, there is no church. Because in these verses, this is during the tribulation period. So during the tribulation period, the church is not here. Where is the church? We've been raptured out. Now there's still people here, but they're not part of the church. And so now we're in this period of time, the 70 weeks of Daniel, the 70th, and in the midst of that week, after three and a half years, the Antichrist, the head of this last world government, this great politician that's coming up here out of the sea is going to go into the temple in Jerusalem and claim that he is God. Now look what he says here. Now these ten horns, ten kings, now hold your place right here and look in the book of Revelation chapter 17. Chapter 17. Now remember we talked about in the book of um, Daniel, chapter 2, there were five kings. Chapter 7, we talked about four kings. But there were two kings before that. And that is because of the Egyptian and the Assyrians over Israel. And then you had the other five. So there were seven. But we want to talk about the seventh king. What makes him different from everybody else, this last kingdom? Well, look there in verse 9. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads, seven mountains or kingdoms on which the woman sitteth. We're not talking about the hills in Rome and the Catholic Church. And there are seven kings, five are fallen. Can't be the Catholic Church. When this was written, they didn't even exist. And so we can't talk about, oh, the seven mountains, uh, five of them are already dissolved. They, they went down. I'm not talking about that. One is, and the other is not yet come. So whenever John was used to write the book of Revelation, five are already off the scene. One is, which was the Roman Empire at that time, and one is yet to come. And so you had five that have fallen. One is, one is yet to come. Now get this. In verse 10, and there are seven kings, five fallen, one is, the other is yet to come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short pace, because only three and a half years, not long. Look in verse 11. And the beast that was and is not even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. In other words, the last kingdom 
they're going to get together and get them one man. And so he is of the seven, but he's the eighth. And this is the Antichrist that's mentioned in the book of Revelation chapter 13. And he's going to come on the scene. Now, you can spend a lot of time trying to figure out, I wonder who he is, I wonder who he is. Is he on alive today? Is he alive today? Well, if the rapture is closed, he has to be alive today. Somewhere, there awaits a man. But now, look at what else he says. Look in verse 12. And the ten horns which thou sawest are what? Ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet. Now, get this and understand it. In verse 13, these have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. In other words, he don't have to take it, but he takes over by lies and flattery and promises. In other words, if they voluntarily do it, it means they must be democracies. Another point, but we won't get into that right now. Look in verse 14. These shall make war with the Lamb. So these are the ten that are going to make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb is that stone mentioned in chapter 2 of Daniel that's going to come down and smite these ten toes. And so we know we're talking about the same kings, the same ten toes, the same horns at the same time. And this day is coming. Now get what he says. Make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. This is the battle of Armageddon. For he is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So this is what's going to take place. Look in verse 16. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, thee shall hate the whore. There's a woman. We'll get into that another time. So this is what is going to take place. And God says these kingdoms are going to formulate at the end time. And last week we covered some of those from the book of Ezekiel in chapter 38. Read chapter 38 and 39 of the book of Ezekiel, and I believe that'll help you. Now go back to 13. Back to Revelation chapter 13. And you notice now he describes this last world power. All right, now look up here just for a moment. Let's picture you got a man laying up here, and he's laying on the slab. All right, there's the head, and here's the feet. All right, thou art the head of gold, that's Babylon. Then the Medes and the Persians. Then the Alexandrian Empire. Then the Roman Empire. And then this last one down here, the feet. Remember I had the feet taken off in your drawing? Or when the church is taken out, the feet come right up against. And there's your Gentile. So Christ, when he comes back, is going to smite the last. So that means, I believe, he says, and all these kingdoms shall be destroyed at one time together. So there's a time coming when this beast is going to be, I believe, standing upright and he's going to hit the toes and destroy all these kingdoms. And he's going to set up his kingdom upon the earth. This is so clear in my mind, it's like reading John 3.16. I've taught this for so long. You say, yeah, but you could be wrong. Sure, I could be wrong. I don't think so. Here in the book of Revelation, in chapter 13, look what he says now. He says this Man, whoever's going to be, is going to have a wound as though he's dead and come back to life. We'll get into that later, but what I want you to see in verse 4. And the, they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast. Saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? In other words, doesn't it make sense that if the, all the world only had one government, who are you going to fight against? It will make such good logical sense for there to be one government upon the earth. This is what the United Nations is about. Okay, United Nations is about. It's bringing all the countries together, and then they have one person 
Doesn't that make sense? So if you're going to have this one man, you've got to have somebody that's going to be able to bring forth confidence on why they should have this man, this Messiah. And the Bible says if he comes in his own name, him you will receive. So the next beast comes out of the land. And you study the Bible in the land, the land, the land, the land. The land is always about mainly Israel. So there's a good possibility that the religious leader will come out of Israel. Just a personal opinion. But now look what he says down here in verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. In other words, Satan is controlling both of them. The head of the political system and the religious system, remember, the true church is gone. They say, well, you got the Roman Catholic Church, and you got this church, you got all these various religions. Yeah, they can stay here as long as they want. But those who trusted Christ as Savior are out of here. And then he says here, this beast here comes from the land, and what he does is get people to accept the Antichrist. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Remember, Satan is a copycat of that which is, was the truth. You see, Jesus Christ came into the world. And Jesus Christ died. And Jesus Christ came back from the dead. So now you have somebody else that's coming on the scene that's supposed to die and come back to life. He's copying the truth. And so the world will wonder and be amazed. Oh, wait a minute. Why weren't you amazed when Jesus Christ did that? You see, he's a copycat. He's not the real Messiah. He's a false Messiah. And he's going to deceive the world because people cannot believe the truth. They will believe a lie. And notice what he said in verse 4. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth. So he's going to be able to have miraculous powers to deceive people and convince people this must be the true Messiah. And so this must be where Israel accepts him as their Messiah and he goes and they have a peace treaty. And you'll notice in the book of uh, Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 when he talks about, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week or seven years. Confirm the covenant. So it is a possibility the peace treaty could be made in advance and then the Antichrist and confirm that covenant in some way. But that means also that the nation of Israel has to become a nation, and it has. They will have to have their temple site. They'll have to rebuild their temple. Because how can the head of this last world government go into the temple and claim that he's God if there is no temple? So that means that temple has got to be rebuilt. You just watch and you'll hear one of these days, they're going to be starting to try to build that temple of it again. And when that happens, the Bible says in verse 15, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. This is where multitudes of people are going to be killed during the tribulation period. Multitudes of people. And then he makes this statement. And he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead, that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the number of the beast or the number of his name. So there has to be a government that's going to take over one day and require that everybody has to have a mark, either on the forehead, their hand. Aren't we living in a time when that's possible? Is that impossible? 
there's a government coming that's going to do just that. And that's in the Bible. And there's people that are talking about doing that, and some of them are already doing it now. Isn't it amazing how they can do that scanner and how it can work? You get all this groceries, you pull up that thing, zip, 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 and it already tells you, you know, who made it, how much it costs, and everything like that. Well, when you have yours, and they're talking about putting all your medical records on here, I mean, that'll never happen, right? I mean, there's no way that people are going to be dumb enough to accept a government number, right? Or you won't be able to buy or sell. You won't be able to work without a government number. You don't know anybody that would accept a number like that, do you? How many in here have a Social Security number? Don't raise your hand. See how easy it is? You just walk right into it. It's conditioning for the day will come when that will happen. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You see, if all these things that God says hundreds of years before he ever came the first time, if that's true, and we live at a time when those countries have already come and kingdoms have gone, and then God talks about the next one, and we're living at a time when man can destroy man from the face of the earth. And God says, who's going to get on whose side? And he's already done mentioned some of those nations. And today, that's exactly where they are. It's just a coincidence, though, isn't it? Or maybe, maybe God told us the truth. And if he told us the truth, remember, someone who's supposed to come back at the end of these ten kings is Jesus Christ. And he's going to set up his kingdom. That's ahead of us. But here in the Bible, it makes a statement in 1 Corinthians. Look in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till what? Till he what? Till he comes. We're supposed to believe that every time we take communion, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Because if we're doing this in remembrance of him, what did he say? I'm coming back. I go to my Father to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And that where I am, you will be there. And we will be with the Lord for all eternity. But see, the church is going to be taken out of here. Those who have trusted Christ as Savior. It's the most important thing you can ever do. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. Everybody sins. God loves us but he hates what we do wrong. And because we have all sinned, we are all going to die. And because we're all going to die, we're going to be separated from God for all eternity in a literal fire-burning hell. But God says that he loves us, wants us to go to heaven, but to go to heaven, no sin. We have to be perfect. As Tracy was singing just a while ago, about white as snow. Watch me, white as snow, you've got to be perfect to go to heaven. And none of us are perfect. So God says you cannot earn eternal life. You can't work your way to heaven. Going to heaven is not going to be the result of you, you deserved it. You lived such a good life. No, God says you cannot save yourself. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us. And he hates our sin because it separates us from him. So we had a, a debt we don't want to pay. So Jesus Christ took the payment, and he made it for us. He paid 
for my sins. Now, he paid for my sins because he didn't want me to pay for my sin. He died in my place and satisfied God the Father because sin has to be paid. The wages of sin is death. Christ come back from the dead. And he said, the only thing you and I have to do to go to heaven is believe that he did it for us. So when you believe this, that Christ paid for your sins, then God puts that payment to your account. Now you have a payment for your sins. Christ is the payment. So by accepting Christ, he is my payment for my sins. And therefore, I know I'm going to heaven because I don't have any sins to pay for. Why? He paid for my sins. How many of my sins did he pay for? If he paid for all of them but one, he didn't help me. He had to pay for all of them or he didn't mean no favors. So Christ paid for all my sins. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We go to heaven on what he did for us. You understand that? Now if I offered you my Bible and you accepted it, you'd have a Bible. And if I offered you my microphone and you accepted it, you'd have a microphone. If I offered you my wallet and you accepted it, you'd have a, an empty wallet. You know, the older I'm getting, the thinner this thing's getting. Have you noticed, look how skinny that thing is. There must be something missing in there. My sin's getting less and less. <laughs> no, the older I get, I am not sinless, but I do think I should sin less. And there is a difference. And so if you will accept Christ as your Savior, he promised you what? Eternal life. Now, if it's eternal life, this is a hard question. How long would it last? If it lasts forever and all your sins are paid, where would you go when you die? You'd go to heaven. So can you know you're going to heaven before you die? Well, of course, that's what the whole thing's about. So I pray that you have trusted Christ as your Savior. If you haven't, now would be a good time to do so. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you say, Preacher, that made sense to me today. I want to be certain of going to heaven. Now, I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you sign a card or do anything. I just want you right where you are to talk to the Lord. You see, you can't make a mistake this way because only the Lord knows what you're saying. Lord, I'm a sinner. That's the truth. We all are. And Lord, I believe that when Christ died, I believe he died for me and he paid for my sins. And I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust what he did to take me to heaven. I'm not going to try to earn it. I don't deserve it. And I believe that when I trust him as my Savior right now, he gives me as a free gift, everlasting life. If you'll believe that, you'll trust Christ as your Savior right now. Would you let me know by just slipping your hand up very quickly and put it right back down. Yes, God bless you, ma'am. Anyone else? Just slip it up, put it right back down. I'm not going to embarrass you, point you out. But it's over and done with when you make that decision. Most important decision you'll ever make. Is there anyone else before we close? Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you so much for all you've done for us. And we thank you, Lord, that you have revealed these things to us so that we can know just how close it is and for the joy of telling other people how to have eternal life. We thank you for the individual that indicated by an uplifted hand that they would trust you as Savior, knowing that by trusting you, you guarantee them eternal life and they can go to heaven when they die. And Father, we ask you to work on every person in this room because time is short. Eternity is long and hell is hot. We ask your blessings upon each person here as we look back upon what you did on the cross for us until you come again. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen.